0: Welcome inside the parisi palace high above 3773 east broadway this is the jake feinberg show comedy on power talk thank you so much for making us part of your day today and it's great to be back in the saddle after a brief road trip on the road in boise idaho and uh, get a chance today to kick off a, a new fall season uh with really a a, a cat who uh defies genres uh his his records oftentimes i mean there it's a fusion of uh folk and rock and and jazz and blues and and he came up at a time when uh you know you had to reach a certain threshold a certain credibility bar in order to get a record released and um he found himself within the milieu of uh, a bastion of really authentic cats like himself jd souther and jackson brown and He's found a voice of his own, and I think that for any artist, you know, no matter how much money they make or how much quote unquote success they might have, the most important thing is having their own individual voice. What makes them unique and what makes helps them cut above the morass of everybody else who's doing what they do. Ned Doheny, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show.
1: Thanks, Jake. Pleasure to be here.
0: You know, I just wanted to uh, ask you a little bit about, um, you know, your advice. I'm 43 uh, and my peer group and younger uh, about, um, you know, a time in your life when you, you know, we're in this pandemic now. The one thing that has completely gone away for the most part is a live domestic touring circuit. And for most cats today that are playing original music, The only way they're making money today is being road dogs and then selling stuff at the merch table. Uh, The days of the record industry are gone. Intellectual property rights are non-existent. So there's a lot of of people are are in darkness right now. And I wanted you to talk to Younger Cats about maybe a time in your career when you faced a lot of adversity, how you overcame it, how it made you stronger.
1: Good question. I think, I think these kinds of things, um, you know, first of all, I started when I was really young. So I suppose I could say um, that music was my uh, earliest acquaintance and has become my oldest friend in the course of time. Um, I, I always followed what I loved for the most part. You know, I didn't, I I was not dissuaded by suggestion, which is, (laughs) I guess, another way of saying I never took direction well. Yeah, right. But um, I always, um, the people that I loved, I followed, and it's not that I, so much that I stole from them, but I kind of absorbed them. I was really lucky, you know, I mean, I've been playing for, I don't know, eight or nine years before the Beatles even came out. So, and and for no reason other than the fact that I found it intriguing, there was no great, I mean, you know, Elvis had certainly come on the scene and galvanized a whole bunch of folks, but I was still a little, you know, pretty young when he came out, and so he wasn't, the lifestyle had not fully formed itself, you know, to the civilian population. I mean, we, we you know, um, money, drugs, and women was, you know, were all things that were completely unavailable to the innocent we didn't know <laughs> right. anything about that I, I did you know so i mean uh, uh, the thing is that my first effort was um, uh, uh i mean i got my my first my first opportunity to, to slip beneath the velvet rope was um a recording ranch in northern california i got this um I gained this opportunity by um, answering an ad in the free press, and they were looking for a guitar player, and I was sleeping on somebody's floor, and I figured, you know, I mean, I was, what, eighteen, nineteen, something like that, and I went up, and I auditioned, and they said, you know, cool, and I wound up uh, meeting Jackson, and, you know, he just ran through a bunch of his material, and I just... You know, played on the spot. I, it was just live stuff, and and we used to play together a lot more. And that's I, you know that's something that's really missing at this point in my life too. I mean, I, I the days of of being um, open enough to actually jam with other players. Sure kind of gave way to a level of <laughs> a certain level of cynicism, sort of like when all the all the would be blues players come out at twelve o'clock and start mangling the form you know <laughs> I usually for me it's usually like well that <laughs> I, look how look at the time <laughs> right it's
0: time to time to pack it in no I mean but uh, you know like um going back to what you said before I mean there were I mean, nobody was even in the in the late fifties, which is when I assume you picked up a guitar and, you know, started to uh, you know Yeah. You know, and, and I mean it was fascinating because <clears throat> were you hip to the the raunch you know, before the Payola scandal, like the raunchier R and B stuff like Hank Ballard and the Midnighters, were you getting off on that? And and was there even labels for the music? I mean that to me has stratified and hurt music so much as, like The categorizing and the labeling—I mean, it's all music to me, and I don't even know if there was a word for rock at that time.
1: Well, it's yeah. I mean, I I, you know I listened to everybody, and of course I um, had—I've used this before, so (laughs) this is not an original moment. But um, (laughs) clock radios for us were like the uh, the Ark of the Covenant. You know, or you know, like it was a pathway that led directly to God. So, (laughs) at night when you were going to sleep and you were producing the most your your most prolific alpha waves, you could listen to you know what was um, kind of rolling out of an extremely healthy radio, which was one tune after another, none of which sounded anything alike, not in tone. Uh, not in character not in composition i mean it was absolutely unbelievable and and it was just a question of it was sort of like being at a giant um in a giant cafeteria and you got to fill your plate with the things that you loved and then you know when you drifted off listening to this magic you woke up in the morning listening to the same magic so you know, that, that, was really, that was really the feast that, that, that we were able to take advantage of, and as you said, before the self-consciousness that overtook it later. You know, and it's, it's um, yeah, I, I, it was a way of life. And also, you know, the digital idiom has given us many things and has also stolen many things from us, not just our privacy, but our ability to entertain ourselves, and by entertain ourselves, they don't mean looking at something that somebody else made. I mean making stuff yourself.
0: Absolutely. The kind of you know. Absolutely.
1: When we were you know when we were kids, I mean we suited up. <laughs> you know when we when the weekend came, we suited up and we you know we went until the sun sun went down, and we lived in a world. Where there was a pretty, there were pretty good odds that you were going to wind, they weren't going to find your lifeless body in an aqueduct somewhere.
0: Exactly. Right. Right.
1: Which has also changed. So you know, and, and this is all kind of a roundabout way of answering, answering your question. But you know, it's amazing what you can um, manifest uh, when you love something.
0: I, c- I mean, I mean it's, then, it's poetry, man. I mean, I mean, the can you, but I mean, hold on. When you try to put a button on the first question, um, the like, if somebody like early in your career, before you got into the studio, you um, were in those early bands, you know, I just know if somebody took the microphone away from me for 18 months or two years, I'd be in a very bad place psychically. And I just wanted you to talk to cats about how to hang... Perseverance is what the word is. Because it's really... I mean, I was... I've been to a few live shows. Um, As far as I know, I was in Boise um, at a raucous event uh, a couple nights ago. I don't know if I got COVID. I am vaccinated. But the point is, it's like most cats are... In order to tour now, uh, you have to take a bus. um, 15 shows in 15 days. How, what is your message to those younger cats about staying the course? Because I think what we've been kind of riffing on here is, I, you know, like you guys suited up, but uh, people aren't as mentally tough anymore either. And so that's, that's,
1: that's... No, it's absolutely true. If I were if I were China, now would be the time to make my move. Yeah.
0: Well, I think they already have, actually. But yeah, no, I mean, it's <laughs> <What>? <laughs> it's, very <laughs> it's very subtle. It's very subtle with them. You know, my, my the mother of my children is... Taiwanese and we know all about how slippery the Chinese are so it's uh
1: oh boy don't you, you. Yeah, yeah yeah true enough well I mean look I, you know I, if I'm gonna be completely honest with you yeah. I mean I'm I'm feeling a little desolate at this particular point myself yeah. with the absence of opportunity you know and plus the fact that 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 um that roaring river is now largely a dry stream bed mm-hmm. and you know I think these things invariably throw you um back on yourself which is kind of a great thing in many ways i mean it it usually doesn't have a a great beginning but it can have a spe- spectacular ending if you use it to further your understanding of yourself and also your instrument i mean when i um when I went up to a recording ranch in Northern California with Jackson, we had very high hopes and, you know, it was this wild location and we were kind of in the big pink vein and, you know, um, you know, free from urban pressures. The, the guy that was our producer was a spectacular con artist and a charismatic. So he was able to talk, um I left a record side of at least 75 grand, maybe more which in those days was
2: yeah, but, but.
1: a tidy for, a tidy fortune.
2: Yeah, that's yeah.
1: right, yeah, totally. And, yeah, but the whole thing tanked. You know, we rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed, and we kind of ran around in circles, and we swam in the river, and we smoked incredible amounts of weed, and there was all manner of naughtiness going on. Some of it was pretty dark, but I never got into that end of it. But at a certain point, the wheels came off it, and and it's sort of like having the wheels come off your dream. You know, you it was like, wow, I thought... I mean, I got to play with Lonnie Mack for God's sakes
2: at this place.
0: Unreal, dude. Unreal.
1: I mean, the my my first the first guitar solo that absolutely slapped me silly was uh, Memphis, right, by Lonnie Mack, and you know (laughs) he. (laughs) (laughs) That's another story. That's the problem with these interviews is that they have many tributaries.
0: You go where your mind takes watch. you, man. We're, 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 it's a free-flowing jam. I mean, tell me about... Uh, I, I mean, I, maybe... You know, before you go any further, I just we have a game on this program called Name That Voice. I want you to take yeah. a listen to this, and then we'll come back and break it down.
1: Right now?
3: Yeah, here
0: we go. Up
3: the street, okay. got in this band with Jackson and Ned Doheny and a, and a few other musicians, Rolf Kemp. Do you know Rolf's name?
0: Uh... I know Dolph Rem from SIR, but I don't know the other cat. No. I mean, again, this is a different, this is a a Will's pocket. So continue. Okay.
3: Okay, here we go. So anyway, uh, uh, um, um, uh, I got up there, got in this band. It looked like it was going to be a great romantic thing to do. And Penny God lover, just gave me my, you know, my leave to to pursue this. So it was Jackson, myself, Ned Doheny, uh, a bassist named Peter Hodgson and Rolf kempf um and that was the core that was the core of the band um we did a little rehearsing a little recording of fraser mohawk aka barry friedman uh was was working for jack Holtzman at elektra and so it was kind of a given thing that we were going to get an electric deal but then then the, the, um fraser had this idea that that uh uh and the model for this was the band, and there was that was a big mistake, and I'll go into that i guess you mean you mean but, but, you mean um, you mean
0: Lee, Levon and Robbie and those guys
3: yeah, yeah, okay. that, that, yeah. that that group yeah. and, and, and in fact uh, um um uh the, uh the drummer we finally ended up with was sandy konnikoff, who in fact had played with the band for a period of a couple of months when they were backing Dylan and levon t- was taking a leave, so Sandy knew about these guys even before we heard the album so so um, I'm, I digress. Uh, um, anyway, Barry had this idea that, that we were going to, as the band had, retreat to the country, and and uh, uh, it would inspire our, our collective creativity. Um, and it was a mistake. We should we should have stayed in Los Angeles and gotten some Sunset Strip uh, experience, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So this was about the time that I was doing some work with 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 Crosby um i uh, i actually um i gave him the tuning that he used that he used to to write guinevere and i, I, I actually got uh, th- there's an interview that happened
0: well this, i mean this guy's going to go on who is that who is that cat
1: are, are you
3: are you live now yeah
0: we're yeah we're back who who do you think that is
1: that's jack Wills. no question
0: rest in peace you know um
1: yeah you know i no dude, that, it, it was so nice to hear his voice i mean i we hadn't spoken, you know, since Paxton.
0: I'm just saying, like that's when Doheny came on my radar. When I did that, in- I did that interview like five years ago, and again, it's like a definitive Will's interview, and the guy is just a character. But he he went on to say that basically the same thing. It was it got debaucherous, things fell apart, and uh, Fraser Mohawk, uh, you know, total shyster, you know, and and uh, and I think. So how did so let's just talk talk yeah I mean take us through how you dealt with that because that is a manic swing right there.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. First of all, um, yeah, Jack was a great guitar player. I mean, he you know he he was a flat pick finger pick. I mean, simultaneously, right? Guy, so he didn't use the thumb pick. He used a flat pick and his two fingers, and he was extremely quick and very um, had a had. a lovely, um, musical. Mm, what's the word I'm looking for? He had his own particular mean with all that. Right. He, he was
0: unique unto himself.
1: So, um, and quite, quite an innocent coming from Ohio and all yeah, just a bump, um,
0: just a bumpkin really. Yeah.
1: yeah. And you know, Rolf Kemp is, you know, I thought was really of all the people at Paxton. I thought he was the most interesting uh-huh. easily. Wow. And um, Rolf is um, is is I haven't seen Rolf in years, but you know he had polio as a kid. He had a brace on his leg. Uh, his spirit was fierce, you know. His eyes were always on fire. Wow. And wow. he was an amazing, amazing. Cra- I mean, I remember him scrambling up a hillside on acid, with his stiff leg and his good leg, and just you know, I mean, he looked he he I don't know he looked like a man possessed. And he was a really good writer, too. I mean, to me, he was the most interesting. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, we had, we had high hopes about all that. I mean, say what you want about Barry Friedman, but he, he made something available to us that I'm not so sure we would have had if we hadn't met him.
0: The uh, reclusive, I mean, the idea to go and, and, and go away in a sort of a big... No, 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 no,
1: no. no. The, see, the thing is, there's a really interesting book called The Trickster Makes the World. Huh. And tricksters are interesting because they have no concept of boundary. Right. And in so doing, they kind of track their pollen around and change things. It really works out well for them.
0: I love that. Wait, who wrote this book and when did it come out? I mean, I, I, I've chronicled the Merry Pranksters, uh, who were the ultimate. Oh, this is,
1: a, this is not a music book.
0: No, I did. This,
2: yeah.
1: yeah, but, but it, it, it came out a while back. I, you may be able to find it on Amazon, Trickster Makes the World. So some tricksters that have, have, in, in our recent history that are interesting, Donald Trump. Absolutely. Donald Trump was a trickster. And, you know, I mean, it's easy to dismiss them because on s- certain levels they're graceless. But on another level, they're really insightful in ways that they couldn't even explain to you.
0: I completely understand what you're saying.
1: Right? Yeah. So, and and as such, they, they can have inestimable value. Well, I agree with um, Jack technically, and this goes back to your original question. The failure of Paxton made way for a completely different kind of success as a result of it. So when I came back from that, and I was kind of you know inconsolable i i and i was living in laurel canyon my immediate response was okay let's go back to square one square one is kind of like the uh, the still point in the turning universe <laughs> you know it it's when you you know when you set up a telescope in the desert and you 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 uh mm. Um, bolt it to an equatorial wedge and turn the little motor on so it tracks. You 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 always align it with the North Star because that's the one part of the heavens that doesn't change,
2: wow.
1: and that's what square one is. So, in, to advise people that are currently going through terrible periods of time, um, study.
0: Study yourself. Study theory. I mean, well, yes, yeah.
1: yeah, certainly, no, certainly that. But but study your instrument. Find somebody yeah. who's. You know, look, I, you know, once again, I, I have to say that I think too much study is going to is will definitely put you in some sort of bag that that maybe may deprive you of certain may, may give you boundaries that sort of keep the trickster part of yourself from making discoveries that you would make that 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 the self-taught person makes so. You know, how you how you balance that is a matter of choice. But to me, it's always been a question of, does the music fit the lyrics? Do the lyrics fit the music? If you have no aptitude to write lyrics, find somebody who does. Um, are you writing the same song over and over again? <laughs> you know?
0: Like that, does, oh, are, that's a huge question. <laughs>
1: your so roots need to be ex- expanded a little bit. <laughs> And the digital universe, for all its coldness and all its um, imaginary uh, voluptuousness, um, does present us with opportunities there are some there are some great places to study on the internet, and if you can balance that between playing you know facing the crowd, however big that crowd is, maybe it'll be four or five people, maybe it'll be. Four or five hundred people, maybe more. Who knows? Right. But if you're, if you're, you know, if you're, uh, if you're navigating by what you love, then you're going to do as well as you're going to do.
0: I, I mean, this is you make. So let's just talk about let's personalize it. I mean, you're back at the North Star. You're back at square one. But right. in terms of being a self-taught cat, because the academy has really become a, a, a chop shop. I mean, every it, there's a. We have a whole issue. We have we have to go, we'll have to do set two at some point, but I mean, you know, there's like a homogenization of sound. Cats are coming out of the academy right. sounding like they're professors. But for right. you, um, what was a trickster? What was the modality that you used to find something new uh, in yourself and your playing after Paxton?
1: Well, there was a, um, um, a classical guitar teacher named Frederick Node. He was a, a British... Uh, classical guitar teacher who studied with andre andre segovia wow wow no my forgive my phone so um anyway he uh uh i studied with him for a year and i can honestly say it didn't i didn't become a are you still there
0: oh yeah i'm here
1: yeah okay i i can honestly say that i didn't become a classical guitarist after a year but on the other hand I uh, I discovered my little finger on my left hand. <laughs> and my year of study with Frederick Node made the first three albums possible. So much so that on the first album I actually listed him as a contributor. Wow. So there that would be an example.
0: So can you just talk to the layperson about that what that little finger did for your tone or your whatever it was? Okay.
1: <gasps> Well, look, at we're fairly adaptable human beings. You know, we can, you know, human beings are legendary for their capacity to adapt. <laughs> so, you know, Django Reinhardt is in a fire. He gets burned. He fuses his third and fourth finger, which really only gives him his first two fingers to work with. And, but he has blazing speed and is extremely crisp and articulate and insightful and so on and so forth, adaptable.
0: Absolutely.
1: However, um, most of the guitar players that I knew, you know, growing up, they've, you know, maybe three fingers on their right hand and they, 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 uh, um, there is a, I'm trying to figure out how to frame this in the best way possible. A lot of times when you don't know your instrument really well, you jump around a lot. Right. Right. So, when, so in, in, when you begin to use your little finger and you understand bar chords, which are major breakthroughs for guitar players, everyone will tell you this: um, you begin to develop a sense of economy, which is that you know, like you can get to a lot of the same notes without the gymnastics. And also, there's something to be said for. I used to study martial arts, and my, my martial arts, my Chinese boxing teacher would always say, when he would demonstrate things on me, he would say, um, Don't move, my hands will follow you. And <laughs> <laughs> your hands have a mind of their own. If you put the information into them, in all kinds of different ways, like weird... There's bar Bartok exercises for guitar that are completely... They're like non-sequiturs. They just don't make any sense. But your hands take all this in, you know, all this information in. And then when you least expect it, it comes frothing out <laughs> at the right time and, you know, manifests itself as something completely different. You, you, most of us imagine that we're really in control of all this, but... I mean, I love boxing, so I love to watch boxing. They talk about letting your hands go, right? Well, it, uh, uh, um, uh, a system like, for instance, like classical guitar, which is painful, tedious, um, highly refined, um, uh, a real pain in the ass, um, the kind of freedom that lives on the other side of that is really valuable. But after I finished my year of classical guitar, I I had all this strength and no, I didn't really know how to apply it. So I drove a car across the United States, a Land Rover when there weren't but three or four in Los Angeles. And um, (laughs) I put it on the, I I put it on the Queen Elizabeth and went to Southampton. Oh man. I didn't know. I didn't, i i didn't know where i was going i had no idea um i just figured well i'll just keep driving <laughs> until something occurs to me we don't live in that world anymore of course but you know i figured okay why not so i went to new york and and then you know and i crossed the the atlantic and uh dragged my car off the boat and went to Solihull and got solid panels in the back of the Land Rover so I wouldn't have any glass behind the uh, driver's seat, and I'd rigged it for sleeping and all that. Drove into London, ran into a friend of mine. Um, Within two weeks, I was sitting, well, less than that, I was sitting on the floor of Dave Mason's cottage, writing uh, writing a tune in front of him, and he looks at me and goes, how'd you like to join a band? That was the
0: 70s. It was, that's exact. That is just. Wait, did you know Mace, and or do you just wow, Was that just happenstance? When yeah, you're... happenstance.
1: No, actually, it was a. There, there was a, a girl that I knew hmm. in um, in London, a delightful woman who would go on to marry um, Steve Winwood. And anyway, I became friends with her. I, it was girls that made the whole thing happen. Girls of course, girls make
0: everything happen. happen. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, um, yeah. So I I know I've kind of gone. No, far no, dude, afield, Ned, you're, I
0: love that you're. So wait, you. So and what and what, what I think that that's sort of. So actually, the band with Mace formulated at that time when you were there.
1: Yeah, actually, I was in a band with him and Cass Elliot. Whoa. And we would sit in Cass's apartment on number thirty Wellington Court in London and we would sing and our voices t- together were really quite extraordinary um mine can be rather high so uh, you know it, uh, the stacks of harmonies are really quite wonderful and i thought you know we all <laughs> once again you know thought well boy we're going to go somewhere with this so we went back to uh, back to los angeles um and moved into the chateau Marmont. and you know dave's managers at those uh, <laughs> at, at that juncture, were a pair of extraordinarily interesting human beings who also just coincidentally happened to be drug dealers. So, you know, I, I love these guys. I've never had a problem with crazy people or military.
2: Right. Never. Right.
1: So, um, yeah, I you know, being my parents' child, I looked at all this and I thought, damn, if I'm going to sign my name to any of this nonsense. As much fun as it was. And I, I, you the know, funny thing is, if I'd just gone ahead and thrown caution to the wind, uh, we probably would never be having this conversation, and I'd be doing a different, a different iteration of the life I turned out living, right?
0: You think you, you think that, that, that band would have had sustainability?
1: Oh, yeah. yeah. You have to yeah, excuse me, because I'm not –
0: co- I mean, I'm looking here at the Mason-Cass Elliott album. That's what manifested from it, but it could have been more –
1: yeah, it was supposed to be the three
0: of us. So yeah, okay. So you you were, but yeah, but yeah, I mean, you wound up writing a, at least one song on here, but that that's really. A, so how did you deal? How did you? You basically were just like, I'm not getting. I'm not touching this. And well,
1: it was it, the whole thing was that the whole thing was a little too, a little too nutty for me. I mean, I you know I'm I, I was a fairly conservative kid, so I mean. Yeah, I mean, I had hair down to my shoulders, and I loved to smoke weed. But, I mean, I, 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 never, I didn't have an addictive personality per se. Right. And I was not used to uh, levels of dec- decadence that other people were quite fluent in, you know. So from the business end of it, part of me just went, uh, maybe not,
2: mm.
1: you know. But, you know, it, it, it was a wonderful experience. I mean, Cass was great. Dave and I got along really well. But, you know, I mean, I, um, as I told you earlier in the conversation, I don't take direction well. Okay. Which is fine. So I wind up in this Chateau marmot by myself. And, I, you know, Jackson and I then, you know, um, hook up again. And now he is being, um, he's developing a relationship with Geffen. Okay. So he introduces me to Geffen. And uh, you know, I mean, coming back from England with Dave Mason and Cass was, you know, it was a big deal. It's like, well, here we go, you know. And he, you know, he he wasn't at a period of time where he was setting the world on fire. I mean, he certainly had a wealth of amazing material and all the rest of that. But um, and I, you know, we would be hanging out when he wrote most of his first record which in my opinion is his best one no question by the way
0: i i, I forgot I, I totally you've been throwing so much in, insane content at me you're talking about bob kras now aren't you
1: uh no david geffen
0: no no I, i'm sorry you talked about the the two cats who were mason's managers
1: no it was charles taco and uh, uh, billy doyle
0: oh, okay some reason i thought kras now well he did he was on blue thumb for a minute anyway go ahead Continue. right yeah
1: Um, Yeah, Billy Doyle's father was the head of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police during World War II. Holy
0: cow. My God.
1: Um, If if memory serves. (laughs) So anyway, I got involved with the whole, I got uh, involved with the whole asylum thing, as you, you know, as you pointed out. And um, that kind of established a certain vector for me for, quite a long period of time but you know it was interesting because the 70s didn't last very long they didn't and when the 70s when the 70s curled up it was replaced by disco in large measure and um much or most of disco was utterly forgettable except the players were really good the rhythm sections were really good. Yeah, when they didn't have the a drum when they player. didn't have
0: a drum machine. Yeah, when they had real human yes. beings, it was good.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, there were some really lovely rhythm sections in those days, but I'm let you know lyrics were not a high priority. No. And I had the benefit of you know when I was on Asylum, I you know, there were some really fine wordy folk there, and the bar was high.
0: I love this, dude. I mean, this is re- so. I mean. I want to get into this 73 by the way in Tucson where I'm at there's a, a record store called Wooden Tooth and uh, they have two copies of uh, uh, they have your self-titled 73 and then Hard candy both signed by Ned Doheny so you're really in the in the in the midst here I mean it's a beautiful <laughs> but I, I I want you know there's so much interesting stuff on the and I think I just would love you to talk about me because listen today for the most part, you rarely get cats hitting live in the studio. In 73, everybody was in the studio. There were minimal overdubs. And I just wanted you to talk a little bit about um, that experience because I'm looking here. I mean, first of all, a dear friend of mine wound up – I mean, he's listed here as a horn arranger was Don Menza. Uh, Oh, yeah, I love Don Menza. I mean, mean, Dick Hyde was on Bone – then you had that's like right-eyed. yes sir and then there's, there's this cat jimmy calary i've never heard of that cat he's on synth jimmy or... calary okay so
1: yeah. what <laughs> uh, <laughs> the drummer that played the drums on moon dance was a drummer named gary maliber
0: he played on moon dance that's oh my i love that dude go ahead yeah,
1: yeah gary was the drummer on moon dance gary also played on all steve miller's hits fly like an eagle.
0: I don't think I knew that.
1: All that oh, whole period of time when he could he could do no wrong. Gary was the drummer on all that. Gary also played on uh, Eddie Money's hits. Oh my
0: god. Jesus.
1: Two tickets to paradise and all that. That was Gary. Gary also played <laughs> all with Bruce Springsteen as a studio entity on oh, god, I forget the name of the of the album that he did. Wow. But I'm going to look that up. It, Gary's a snake. He used to, he studied with some you know major arranger in Buffalo, Scamaca, I think was his name. And oh. he Gary was a little beast. And he he used to he was playing clubs when he was you know you talk about Sandy Konikoff was the drummer that Jack Wilson didn't mention when he was talking about who was at Paxton Lodge.
0: He did. He said he said he he wound up there. He was in the band for a minute. Ah yeah.
1: ah. Okay okay okay. So yeah. I missed that. But anyway um uh. Sandy and Gary were part of the Buffalo contention. Sandy recommended Gary to me. Gary came out and lived with me in Los Angeles for a while, and, and so did Jimmy Colary and his family. Jimmy Colary was the, the um, keyboard player in a group with Gary called Raven.
0: Dude, are you kidding me? Ra- Dude, this
1: is insane. Yeah, the Raven was, and Raven were were absolute beasts. And once again, see, th- this is the thing that drives that drives us crazy. Yeah. We have a we have an incredible taste of potential, of success, of 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 the realization of our childhood fantasies. And then it all falls apart for some reason and there we are. So right. this goes back to your first question about what do you do and, you know,
0: well you know it it it's, it's really what's really band. funny is so, that, you know, you're talking about these childhood dreams and then oftentimes the they they don't get realized because of very petty things you know they fall apart for very petty re- it's just unfortunate you know the the, the yeah. I, I tell go I mean I want you but I mean like also this I mean I cannot believe I he's a relative unknown at this point is that aside from Kaleri, Richard Kermode was on this album
1: I played with Richard Kermode yeah I no. mean Richard oh was originally God. with Malo. and the other thing about Richard Kermode was I, look, I have a particular fondness for B3s, and there aren't many B3 players left.
0: I love that, and I love especially people that kick pedals in. Yeah.
1: yeah, especially not the ones that can play bass with their feet.
0: That's right, kick pedals. Yeah,
1: yeah. So Richard was insane. Insane at that, but he, um, for some reason, he wouldn't do. He wouldn't. Do, I don't know why he had a falling out with that instrument. That was between him and Hammond.
2: You know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I really have no idea. But he didn't like to play the B three so much, and, and according to Gary, I never heard him play B three. But Gary said he was an b- absolute beast.
0: So, was he in Raven too, or was it just Caleri and? No,
1: was it was Jimmy Caliri. Um, yeah, there have Gary to- was the drummer. Tony Gallo was the vocalist. Jeez. God, I mean, I mean, what a what a voice! Oh, absolutely god. stunning. And um, oh god, they're they're gonna hate me. To- uh, Tony Tommy Calandro was the bass player. And the guitar player was uh, Gary's going to bite my face. Um,
2: <laughs> I can't dan- well, uh, um, I
1: just can't even. Ah, understand. shit! I'm sorry. I, I cannot remember the guitar player's name. But let, suffice it to say yeah. that they were all utterly unique and 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 uh, amazing um, stylists. They all had they they all had a particular thing, and.
0: John, Raven John, Weets. John, John,
1: John, Hendricks was sitting in with them periodically. I mean, these guys were on fire and Gary, because of, you know, and because of their New York sensibilities and their East coast, um, inclinations, they, they were master shuffle players. Gary knows more about shuffles than anybody I know. And I, I just want to, um, I want to
0: stop you for a minute. John Wheats was the guitar player. Yes. Yes. And, yes. And, and, dude, I mean, this, is, this is amazing because they played at the Electric Circus, which is where yes. Dreams played with the Brecker Brothers. They, that was a place where you would get hired. You got a salary. It wasn't a club, but you just played. I mean, people would come in and play. I mean, that is – this is mind-blowing stuff. Continue. Go ahead.
1: Yeah. Any. Yeah. Anyway, so Gary kind of pulled the band together for the first album, and um, Jimmy Caleri was um, the keyboard player, and Jimmy was ah, Jimmy was absolutely wonderful. And and there are moments on that round that first record that, that really made, uh, that, that are extremely emotional for me, just because of how beautiful his choices were. Sure. And there was also a bass player named David Parlato. Sure. And, um, he, he, another guy who was really lyrical, but didn't overplay,
0: you know, and it's so interesting, of, it's so beautiful because they were all influenced by that Scotty LaFaro stuff, but they weren't like, no, it wasn't jazz. It wasn't like bebop, but they, they were very lyrical in their playing the, all those. Yeah,
1: yeah. And it had a lot to do with, I mean, I think one of the benefits of living in Buffalo had really had a lot to do with the, the whole Oregon trio. Exactly,
0: dude. Lonnie Smith, all those cats, all the, all those cats came out of there, man.
1: Yeah, and there was um, the Pine Grill, and and Gary Gary used to it would tell me that on, uh, he remembered a night when he was going in to see. Is it Jimmy and the Griff.
0: Yeah, maybe. No, the Pine. I mean, the and, pine, yeah, that was Lloyd Price, dude. That was, that place was rich with beef. That was a Hammond. But, yeah.
1: But on on a, on, a, on that specific night, it was. It was um, Master McGriff. It was uh, James Brown, and it was also John Coltrane. We're all playing in Buffalo on the same night.
0: Oh, my God. It was a, bas- it was the, a bastion imagine of... Imagine
1: yeah. the beating that you would take just <laughs> trying to get from 8 o'clock to 4. Oh,
0: I, dude, it would. It would it, but I mean, that would have been healing for for, for a patron oh. like myself, or journalist. I mean, I just would have... I I cannot even believe the mind expansion and the introspection of walking out of basically a blues, a B3, then R&B soul, and then, you know, basically modal, you know, to the heavens. I mean, it's unbelievable.
1: Well, and he said that, you know, like, uh, um, that Jimmy would, not Cleary, but McGriff would play, um, I hope I'm getting that name right, my brain is saying No, Jimmy
0: McGriff, you're right.
1: Yeah, it's a wasteland. But anyway... um, There would there would be way, there would be set two sets of Leslie stacked on top of each other, and he said the bass notes that were coming out of the place were so loud that snow was marching down the roof and falling off. Dude, Malabar is a waiting. F- in- I love these people, man. This is the greatest stuff ever. Yeah, we. T- I mean, I mean, Gary and I. It's like you know, the other day, the other day, he was telling me. He said, "I don't talk to anybody." He said, "I don't know where anybody is." He's currently on the road with. Uh, A.J.
2: Croce
1: oh. and A.J. Croce's got a you know got a, a number one record on the country charts Gary is, Gary's Gary has a uh, certainly it's it, it it's a byproduct of his skill but he's also his luck man of being in the right place at the right time and all the rest of that he he's he's a savant on that level absolutely
0: incredible so um <clears throat> let me just ask you though i mean when, when when you got connected with geffen did did you bring in malabar or, or who, who how did you decide on the musicians
1: well, I mean, Gary was living at my house, so we were playing together all the time. When I was, you know, I was marching around the house writing songs and stuff. I mean, I remember <laughs> smoking a bunch of weed and and writing postcards from Hollywood while Jimmy was, you know, making pizza. Right. So, hilarious, know, man. The I mean, Moog
0: synth with pizza, man. Nothing better than that.
1: Well, and his family, and of course, the pizza would always, usually come out at about eleven o'clock at night. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we, you know, we were certainly we didn't have any health
0: concerns. No, you, I mean you that were, was what it was, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. So I became pretty, pretty woven into the whole, um, certainly the whole Buffalo thing and the whole East Coast thing, and all the little tributaries and connect, tributaries and connections that came from that. So my, my, my instincts were always much more east coast than west coast even though i got lumped into that whole california sound nonsense um i i always felt much closer to
0: um to east absolutely this is wait. so you're telling me though but aside from the malibu wait so you could aside from the, the trek with the land rover you never yeah. were in Buffalo personally, you, Mal. How did you and Mal no. originally link? Link? How would you meet him? Sandy Konakoff. Konikoff at Paxton. I mean, that was at Paxton when you met, or when you?
1: Yeah, pa- I met Sandy at Paxton. Yeah.
0: And then he hipped you, and because he was from Buffalo, so he's like, you gotta, you gotta yeah. check, check out my buddy Gary. And then he, and then yeah. wow. Yeah. And tell me why you felt because it's so interesting because you at that time there was no full interconnection. A station in Maine couldn't. I mean, nowadays you're the same. You have this contraction of the of the of the radio stations and the and the idea that you're hearing one thing in Maine, you can hear the same thing in San Diego. But before, you had all this regional rhythms. So why did you feel right. more connected? Because you are. Everyone's like, oh yeah, you know, born in, in Beverly Hills and part oh, of that yeah. whole thing. I mean, right. But but I, I love. I'm a huge. Uh, I mean. Pat Martino's first gig was with Lloyd Price and his big band with Red Holloway and, you know, and all those cats and at the Pine Grill. And Buffalo has been, I mean, what a blue collar. And, and so tell me about the why you, why you feel more connected to the East Coast rhythms than you do from the what you got lumped into. Um,
1: musicianship. Yeah. Musically, in, on the East Coast, they did not suffer fools. <laughs> and here they suffered uh, them all the damn time. Can you
0: give an example? I mean, what does that mean? to? The, I just I want people to know what you mean.
1: Well, were, let's just yeah. say, let, look, I mean, we had a hardcore um, studio coterie out here that, um, you know, um, that kind of played on everything. And you know all about them, so I'm not going to get into it. Absolutely. But <clears throat> generally the actual club scene here on the west coast was really weak it was it was i mean you know look i mean I, yes i saw the doors yes i saw james brown yes i saw the temptations but by and large the scene here on the on the west coast was not you know the, the there's a tremendous bar culture back east and so, you know, as you know, and uh, it, for, for many years, as my Irish friends are fond of telling me, you know, that that's it's, it's certainly a perfectly decent substitute for therapy. <laughs> you know, you talk it out with your friends, you get shit faced, you get in a fight, you get laid, you play music, whatever. So it's kind of an all purpose um, situation. Absolutely. <clears throat> so you have, you know, all these guys got to see the original the original cats, the the shoulders upon whom uh, many would stand subsequently, and um, if you couldn't if you couldn't produce it on the spot, then you had to go back and and work until you could. I remember when I, first time I went to Japan, and I was you know I, I played something on some radio station, and these two Japanese guys were looking at me like they said. My God, you can do that all by yourself! And I said, <laughs> "Well, yeah, of course." <laughs> and they said, "You know, people come over here. Most of them can't." So, you know, I mean, a lot of there a lot of people are being supported by a little coterie of, you know, help you look good people. That and is so, so
0: beautiful to hear you. I mean, it is for that for someone that was born in '78, right in the teeth of disco. It's just really refreshing to hear you say that that was still that was even the case, back then. The coterie—it's unbelievable.
1: Oh yeah, and I, you know, like you know, we have been musically in this country in the uh, in the longest-running episode of The Emperor's New Clothes in recorded history.
0: I, I mean, how long has it been? It's
1: decades. Uh, I would say, yeah, at least twenty years.
0: Okay. Wow. I got you know I, we so, are I mean you're blowing you I mean I want to make sure that uh, I I want before we set one I want to make sure we get this other name that voice in there. I want you to listen to this and cuz it'll take you in a different direction and we'll come back.
1: Okay.
4: And I don't like blood. I'm scared to death when I see blood. I don't like it. So I know I'm not I couldn't be a doctor. A scientist, yeah. I channeled it through my music and invented some things that had not been done on the guitar. And how I did it was I asked myself a question. How come Montgomery didn't figure this out? How come he didn't do it like this? Why didn't he add this note over here to his octaves? And I said, well, there's nothing to prevent you from doing it.
0: Oh, I dig, man. So I
4: jumped on it.
0: I dig it, man.
4: years later, it turned out to be a, a staple in my playing without me even trying to force it in. I just kept doing it, and pretty soon people began to notice it. And it became part of what they're calling the George Benson sound or whatever that means. It became part of my personality. And that's about as close as I can get to it. Uh, do I think? I think about one statement that someone said about, oh, I know who it was. It was Elvin Jones uh-huh. who said this about John Coltrane. He said, man, it was like God sent us an angel, and he stayed with us a little while, and then he disappeared. That's what he said about John Coltrane. I thought that was pretty profound. I mean, I don't think in that direction uh, because all of us uh, come from the same God. So I, but I like his assessment of uh, uh, of John Coltrane not being ordinary and that he was something very special.
0: Well, he gave it away. That was my uh, my interview with George Benson from like three years ago, and uh, you know, I just wanted. Ned, I wanted you to talk about, you know, we've sort of been, you know, I don't know, talking about this, that, and the other. But, I mean, within the scene, can you talk, I mean, a lot of cats, I remember, you know, talking to guys like Michael Shreve. And, you know, they yeah. were they were seeing a lot of their friends become roadkill uh, in the early 70s. Uh, because of, the, of, like you said, the darker side of debauchery and the hard drugs. And, you know... He talked about Benson said Elvin Jones You know Was like Coltrane was an angel Who came and visited us For a little while And he was gone Is there somebody That comes to mind In your That 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 is like that Because I mean There was so much um, There was like This beautiful time Before the Emperor's Close period Where there was Really organic music Being made It's a twofold question Is there something Similar to what Elvin said about Train in your mind With somebody And then number two why have you been able to sustain and, and are still here today in this life?
1: Okay. So um, I think there are really two obvious uh, examples of that. Um, there was a, I, th- I can't remember if it was the Martin Scorsese movie about Dylan, but they were talking about making the Highway 61 record. Right. And I know Al Cooper, really friendly guy, and um, he has spoken at length about all this. But there was somebody else involved in the session. I can't remember if it was the engineer, but he talked like a player. So I'm guessing it was a player, can't remember his name. But he said there was the strangest light around Dylan. He said it was as if he had been touched by God. Right, right. And you know another another example of that. <laughs> um, of course, Dylan he, is. Of course, I Dylan's mean,
0: still here, though. Yeah, he's still with us. Yeah.
1: Well, he yeah. is, but he's not touched by God anymore.
0: Oh, interesting. Wow.
1: That was that. That was that. Per- Look, he can write lyrics better than I'll ever write anytime he wants. But on the other hand, that period of time, um, there was a had an aspect of holiness to it.
0: You're absolutely and right. And
1: everybody saw. it. I'm amazed he survived it, frankly. And another example was the Beatles. They they were they, they they stepped into the light and they stayed there for as long as they
0: could handle it. And that was it. You you mean you saw it when 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 did do you see them on the Ed Sullivan Show the first time, or when? When did you see? Yeah, him? yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I see. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, and and the television set wasn't black and white in those days; it was gray and green.
0: <laughs> That's pretty psychedelic. I mean, I you know, it's, yeah. it, but angelic in the sense. Yeah, I mean, t- can you talk about your salvation? I mean, like we we you know we haven't even gotten out of the early seventies, but it's just. <laughs> and and we never will we never will but I mean like no, the, the, <laughs> but I mean like I've been <laughs> listening to your albums a lot and I really love how you can pigeonhole yourself but I just wonder uh, you know <clears throat> like when you when you amidst all the chaos and sort of you know the the music the current state of whatever the business is or the racket um, I just wonder uh about your state of mind as it relates to gratitude, and maybe stuff that you're still learning about, and that 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 like you said, but I think one of the most profound things you said in set one is just, you know, the idea that uh, the the self introspection, learning about yourself, uh, it can, and actually in this time you can fall back into that, but that takes having introspection. If you don't have introspection, it's going to be pretty hard to do any kind of deep dive. And I just wonder why you how you feel like you, you've, you've survived this whole time and still continue to, to knock on wood, be healthy and, and happy.
1: Well, look, I mean, uh, <laughs> failure is my co-pilot.
2: So,
0: you know,
1: <laughs> uh, you know I, I, have, I have had my hopes dashed so many times that all that's left is a blazing sense of humor. I love it. You know, at this particular point. As far as the, the introspection thing, here's the deal. When they treat you for cancer, right, one of the things that they, they worry about is that it, it, a lot of times people will take vitamins and things to get healthy. And the problem with that is that your tumor gets healthy, too. Wow. And so the trick is to mm. try and figure out how to starve the little prick and survive. And that is as good an analogy for dealing with success as I can possibly think of. So, wow. Um, what you do, what you have to do, is you have to realize, is what, what, while holy water is being poured on your head, that the dark part of you that doesn't wish you well is also benefiting. So you need to you need to visit some of your uh, some of the members of your internal family and sort some shit out. You need to make some peace. It doesn't have to be Christian. It does, you know. It can be, it can be anything. It can be Taoism. It can be psilocybin. I mean, however it is that you get to a point where you no longer fear your own body. And the reason that, why that happens is that there are so much unresolved, so many unresolved issues in your body that to actually take a look scares the shit out of people. They, they don't want to go in because there doesn't seem to be any safe way to do it. But that is the process that frees you to the point where, when you become successful, you become successful and they don't.
0: That's this is that's going to take me a minute to get my head around. That is some poetry right there, man.
1: Well, it's funny. Remember, I was sitting in, was sitting in the uh, Capital Tokyo Hotel in Tokyo, and Robert plant Robert, excuse me, Robert Palmer was there. And, you know, he was a lovely guy. I mean, he, you know, he was talented and he wrote some really great songs and so on and so forth. I mean, I don't really listen to his stuff that much per se, the lyrics. Somehow it's, it's particularly nice when somebody has something to say, you know, and and I think (laughs) a lot of what connects us to songs is that, but he was sitting there and he was, you know, he was drunk and he was, cigarette ash i'm not trying to speak ill of the dead i'm just saying that that you know um there was a girl with him and he you know he was dropping ashes on his three thousand dollar suit and i you know at a certain point um god it's like oh god this analogy has been used so many times i mean groucho Marx said i wouldn't want to belong to a club that would have me as a member that's right and so, you know, in a way, if you become successful, which many people think will help them deal with the fact that they are fundamentally flawed, as it all turns out, it takes the flaw and gives it mythic status. So, you know, I mean, they drink and they smoke and, and they're, you know, they're, they're a prisoner.
0: Going back to the tumor, though, like I mean, chemo yeah. is chemo is the right thing. Is that the analogy that I'm looking? At? You shrink that sucker so that the
1: no, no, no. It's, it's not that. It's not that chemo is the analogy. That's not the analogy. The analogy is to figure out how to become healthy without enabling your demons to become healthy.
0: Well, that's a that is a that is a tightrope. Well, yeah. I mean,
1: it's but it's doable. I mean, you can. You know, you can. You can thrash it out and, and, and you know, any, any willing – okay, as a father, right? Yeah. I, you know, it, it occurred to me in dealing with my own son, it was a question of long-winded diatribes from my parents didn't do any good of any kind. So um, – and I wanted to be what they wanted me to be. But the reality of it was is that I couldn't be what they wanted me to be because that wasn't who I was. So, um, you know, it kind of, uh, I got to the point where, I have to follow this
0: thread, it's really abstract. Um, <laughs> Sorry, that's my show, dude. <laughs> okay. No, I, you know, so I, want you, America, I want to make sure that you tie it into your son, though.
1: Okay, yeah. I will. So, so the, the idea became, I can't tell him who to be. I can only be who I want him to be. So I have to deal with these things before they get to him. This business about the sins of the father is very real, you know. And unfortunately, um, you don't want to practice on your kids. Right. Practice on your art if you want. It's a lot healthier.
0: Well, you know who uh, would love to hear this? Well, I I can honestly say I think he, because I talk to him pretty regularly, is Jim Keltner. Uh, with his kid. Uh, Ned, Jim Kilder. Yeah, and and uh, you know, Ned, can we can we do set 2 next week if you're I mean, I we have a lot more to get. Yeah, sure. To. All right, cuz I Well, I you know, I don't know how much, you know, I, I, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. No, because I mean, within this is I I just feel like my show, the saliency of it is that 50 years from now or long after we're both left this planet, somebody's going to hear this and if it if it has inspires one person or gives somebody some kind of enlightenment or a pathway forward then we've done our job man and i just uh, yeah, that's ke- you know that's what it's yeah, about that's
1: what keeps yeah that's what keeps me going it's funny i you know i certainly didn't enjoy any great financial success i mean i'm i think i'm reasonably respectfully thought of in the music business but i don't have you know i'm not a i'm not a huge i don't have any huge legacy to um to hang my hat on so you know, I mean, one guy comes up to you and says, you know, I mean, I was I was going through cancer and your music, you know, helped me stay here. You know, that if that isn't enough, what do
0: you need? That exactly, dude. And, dude, I, I'm so grateful that you uh, reached out, man. I had a ball. We'll do it again.
1: Yeah, me too. All it's right,
0: great. dude. Talk to you soon. OK. All right. Adios. Later. Ned Doheny, really fantastic individual, dropping knowledge here on the Jake Feinberg Show. And we'll be back with Jessica Pavone right after this.
1: The, the disciples need to and it's very hard box to close and I, did, I didn't want to <clears throat> in, in, in the end